0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
1: You know what it is? Episode 98 for the love of the game. Let's get it. And everyone, episode 98 for the love of the game. First podcast of 2021. Hope everybody had a great New Year's. Big things happening in the sports world right now. We've got NFL playoffs coming up this weekend as the regular season wrapped up this past Sunday. This will be the main entree of tonight's episode, a little playoff preview. So yeah, that's what's, that's what's up right now. NBA season is happening and it's heating up. NHL starts in about a week and a half or so. We have college football playoff. The title game is set. Ohio State is playing Alabama on the 11th of January. So a lot is happening to kick off 2021. So let's jump right in. Let's start with what I just mentioned in the college football playoff. The four teams in the playoff this year were Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Notre Dame ranked in that order. And like always, there's a major debate to be had at number four who is going to be the fourth team in. I know the last thing people saw before the committee made its decision was that Notre Dame got absolutely curb stomped by Clemson in the ACC title game. But like it or not, Notre Dame did have the best resume of the remaining teams that were in real discussion to be in, uh, and they should have made the playoffs. So for those who are mad about it, sorry. They were the fourth best team. No one really had a better case than them. And don't tell me Texas A&M because they had worse losses than Notre Dame. So then as expected, Alabama, which has about six or seven first round picks in the draft this year, seems like beat up Notre Dame 31 to 14 in their game. Like there was ever a doubt of that happening. And that's just where Notre Dame is right now. They're cut below, you know, two cuts below Alabama, Clemson and Ohio State in terms of their spot in the college uh, football hierarchy. So they're gonna get the shit kicked out of them in most college playoff games. Well, and in the other game, after Clemson's coach Dabo Sweeney called out Ohio State for only playing six games this year, shout out to the recurring asshole of the day, the coronavirus, uh, had a lot to do with that. And then being ranked, that is Ohio State being ranked 11th on his personal poll Well, Ohio State then proceeded to beat the crap out of Clemson 49-28, shutting up Dabo Sweeney real fast. So now, as I mentioned before, January 11th, we have Alabama against Ohio State at 8 p.m. And no, I don't believe that OSU beating up on Clemson will push Justin Fields ahead of Trevor Lawrence in terms of who will be the first pick in the upcoming NFL draft. As I mentioned before, Trevor Lawrence has been compared to John Elway, Andrew Luck and Aaron Rodgers. He will still be the first pick in the draft. It's not like he played poorly in his game against Ohio state, but Ohio state run up that score. And uh, Justin Fields cemented himself being the second quarterback taken in this coming NFL draft. So a couple of NBA thoughts before we dive into previewing uh, the NFL playoff one, So the much maligned rookie class, and I put myself in this category of people who really doubted this rookie class. Well, we actually have a lot of guys who are good and solid contributors already. Guys who are already showing that they belong on an NBA court and contributing right away. So let's start with the two best rookies so far. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton on Sacramento and James Wiseman for the Warriors. Tyrese Halliburton has been a perfect fit playing guard next to De'Aaron Fox. There was this question whether a second ball handler would look good playing against De'Aaron Fox, considering how good De'Aaron Fox is and how much he has the ball. Well, Tyrese Halliburton has fit in really, really nicely. And the Kings were playing some nice ball until he got hurt with a wrist injury and hold that thought on the Kings because there's another issue with them that needs to be discussed because my goodness, they, uh, they've they become a mess and they're doing uh, Sacramento Kings things again. But yeah, Tyrese Halliburton is awesome. And it's crazy that he fell to 12. Don't understand how that happened, but it seems to happen every year in the NBA draft that somebody falls who we know is going to be good, who should have gone five to seven slots earlier. And then there's James Wiseman who he went from thinking that he was going to be a small piece on a contender to having to be real good, real fast for the warriors to be about a 500 team. Once Clay Thompson got hurt with the Achilles injury. Well, he's already good and he has a chance to be really, really, really good. And I'll admit I was a doubter before the draft. I, I just, I didn't see it. And maybe it's because I didn't see enough. Cause he only played like three college games, but his pure athleticism And his coordination for a guy his size is staggering. I mean, the way he runs the court is remarkable. His ball handling is insane for a guy his size. I mean, he has great hands. And he's being coached up not just by Steve Kerr, but by Draymond Green, who's going to get in his ass every single day of practice and instill in him the proper work ethic needed to be great. He's going to learn to play the right way with Steph and Draymond Green. I mean, look out for Wiseman because he can absolutely – be a star and probably will go down as the best player in this draft. uh, Again, there was a question on his fit with Minnesota. A lot of people said they would have taken him number one overall. I I was a skeptic, but he has a chance to be really, really special. As for the other rookies who are already proving that they belong and are, are in the good category, Patrick Williams for Chicago, Emmanuel quickly for my New York Knicks. Hold that thought for just a bit. You got Peyton Pritchard on Boston, who's a late first round pick guard. He's been super impressive for them, playing big minutes for them already. Precious Ochua for Miami, because of course, Miami finds a big who can move really well, versatile on defense. I mean, would you be shocked if he turned into another version of Bam Adebayo, somebody who they already have and have turned into a star? No, because that's what the Miami Heat do, of course. And then there are the players who have shown flashes. Isaac Okoro on Cleveland, Cole Anthony in Orlando, LaMelo Ball in Charlotte, and even Anthony Edwards, somebody who I was really not high on as the first pick in Minnesota. He's shown that he's belonging. He's shown flashes. So for a draft that was said to be bad, that's already 12 dudes. 12 guys who are good to showing flashes of being possibly good that's not bad in terms of draft depth um and that's not even including obi toppin for the knicks who showed promise in the preseason but hasn't really played due to an injury this draft is surprising a lot of people and may surprise a lot of people in the years to come uh point number two steph curry Oh, Steph Curry's on some type of heater right now. So if you've missed it, the last two games he's had, 62 points and 30 points in three quarters uh, in game number two. And by the way, those are back-to-back nights. So in back-to-back nights, Steph Curry has shot 27 for 49 for 92 points. 13 from 28 from three. I I mean... Let those numbers marinate just for a second. He's shooting over 50% from the floor and close to 50% from three. And these aren't just catch and shoot type stuff. These are threes off the bounce from ridiculous distance. They're getting into the lane and finishing with either hand, just straight boogieing on fools. And yeah, he started off a little slow, but right now his slow start, he's averaging 32 points a game with... 5.3 rebounds a game and 6.4 assists a game. And yeah, I know there's an aberration on a 62-point game in there. Uh, But yeah, Steph Curry has the ability to have those aberration-type nights. I mean, he has a PER north of 28. And yeah, I know a PER is not a perfect stat, but still, when you get to those types of levels, that's special. His struggling is him shooting over 36% from three. And I know the Warriors look terrible to start, all right? And Steph Curry was a little off. Steph Curry right now, this week, he's having his forgot about Dre moment.
0: Nowadays, everybody want to talk like they got something to say, but nothing comes out when they move their lips. Just a bunch of gibberish and motherfuckers act like they forgot about Dre.
1: People were saying James Harden's better. Wrong. They said that Damian Lillard was better wrong and then there are the Laker fans the idiot Laker fans and I know a few of them I talk to them on a daily basis that try to disparage Steph Curry talking this noise that he's never been on the level of LeBron James which is funny because if you look at the 10 best PER seasons ever LeBron is in the top 10 twice and Stephen Curry is once Steph Curry beat LeBron in a finals without Kevin Durant on his team and was the undisputed unanimous MVP on a 73-win team. But yeah, he was never on the same level as LeBron. Fuck out of here with that noise because it's just not true. Further proof that Laker fans don't know anything about basketball, most Laker fans that is, if it doesn't involve the Lakers. Also, they forgot apparently that LeBron and the Lakers missed the playoffs entirely two seasons ago. Yeah, you're going to talk about injury, but stop. He tanked the last third of that season when he was back. But yeah, Steph Curry is back to being awesome. I mean, no one in the history of the league has ever been double or triple teamed at half court routinely other than Steph Curry. No other player. I mean, there was a picture circling Twitter where there were four Portland Trailblazers around him as he crossed half court. I mean, insane. Are the Warriors a title contender this year? No, but don't disrespect Steph Curry. Ever again. And by the way, Kevin Durant, who my buddy Rob Carpellis, friend of the program, recurring guest, shout out to him, said Curry was never as good as Durant, ever. Well, Kevin Durant's best PER season ranks 28th all-time and Steph Curry's ranks 9th all-time. So please, stop with the nonsense, all right? Enough is enough already. So from one California team, uh, this gets to my third NBA point, to another that's uh, trending down in the opposite direction of the Golden State Warriors. And that's the Sacramento Kings. So as I mentioned a little bit earlier, Tyrese Halliburton, the awesome rookie guard, while well, he went down with an in- wrist injury. And since then, it's been a mess in Sacramento. They have lost three straight, but that's not really the half of it. Marvin Bagley, the former number two overall pick from the 2018 draft, who in his first two years, showed a lot of promise when he played. The only issue is that he didn't play a lot of games, missed a lot of time due to injury. And then this season, he has been bad. Very, very bad. I mean, he currently has a PER of seven. I mean, that's absolutely disgusting. Well, it gets worse because his dad then takes to Twitter and requests that Marvin Bagley be traded from the Kings. I mean, just not a good look. Not a good look at all, but that's not all. Because then we have De'Aaron Fox's father, uh, De'Aaron Fox, the point guard of the Kings, who just signed a massive extension, who will probably be an all-star maybe even this year. Well, his dad chimes in and says, yeah, the Kings should trade Bagley on Twitter. I mean, what a shit show. Tough look for the Kings, who haven't been to the playoffs in like 14 years, and they actually have some nice pieces and have a nice future going. But man, they need to clean this up fast. And no, the Kings can't trade Bagley now because he has legit zero trade value. And it would be throwing away a promising young player. Yes, still promising if they were to trade him right now. But if they were dumb enough to do so, I would love for my New York Knicks to get involved because I'm still holding on to my Marvin Bagley stock. But he's got to tell his dad to shut the hell up and he's got to play better because right now it's not looking good for those on Marvin Bagley Island, which I am currently a um, a member of. Four, Trey Young. So I am not a Trey Young fan. I've said this multiple times. I think he's an empty calorie stats guy, an empty calorie all-star. And I wouldn't want to play with him because he constantly is dominating the ball, never tries to move it or try to move off ball. But so far this year, he's been better. In those respects right now, the Hawks in four and three and Trey young has been uh, playing some pretty good basketball. I-, I have to admit I'm not buying the Hawks hot start. I mean, I bet the Hawks, I bet the Hawks under uh, for season wins. It was one of my favorite bets before the season started. So we shall see. But the thing that troubles me about Trey young, and it's not specifically just about Trey young. It's also about the way uh, NBA officiating is and I'm really starting to hate this, is how Trey Young is basically throwing his body backwards to hunt for fouls. It's Harden-esque, and it's disgusting. And the NBA needs to stop calling this bullshit, and this trend needs to end. Players should not be rewarded for actively hunting fouls and throwing their body around, not trying to make basketball plays. Chris Paul did it. I hated it then. James Harden does it to a degree. I hated Hate it. And Trey Young has taken it to the next degree. And I really hate it. And it's awful. So, NBA officials, wake up and stop rewarding this crap. Enough is enough already. Last NBA topic before going into uh, football and all things football. My New York Knicks. So, I'm going to ask you guys a question. At the time of this recording, name a team in New York that has won four of its last five. I'll give you a hint. It's not the Brooklyn Nets. That's right. It's the New York Knicks. My New York Knicks are making me smile right now after beating the Hawks and Trey Young's bum ass coming back in the fourth quarter uh, from a fourth quarter deficit. Allow me to wax poetically about the Knicks. And I'll admit, I may have been wrong about some things regarding the New York Knicks. Let's start with Tom Thibodeau. I was a little skeptical about the hire, but I, I can't deny it. These... This team plays hard, man. They just play hard and they give good effort every night. I like the way they play and he's playing the young guys and it's really a breath of fresh air. It's a breath of fresh air watching a team play hard every single night, compete, even when they don't have it going shooting. I mean, we'll we'll get to RJ Barrett in a second, but even when he was in a slump, a terrible slump when he couldn't make a three, he still plays hard every single night. And there was this major narrative going around, and partially it was true, especially with his days in Minnesota, that Tibbs favored playing veterans when the situation called for him playing young kids. But that's not the case right now because you see last night that rookie guard Emmanuel Quickly played the entire fourth quarter and gave this the team a spark, leading to the comeback win. I mean... Let's talk about quickly for a second. I love this kid. A major spark. He plays hard. He plays smart on defense for a rookie. He shoots the ball well. He's amazing at drawing fouls. And not the Trey Young type bullshit where he's throwing his body around, but he's actually crafty enough to make it look like in the act of shooting. And there's just a different energy when he's on the court. I mean, the way he closed the fourth quarter against Atlanta last night was awesome. And again, Kudos to Tibbs for playing him the entire fourth quarter and not going back to Alfred Payton, who honestly I can do without, even though he's had moments where he's actually looked pretty good, but I can do without Alfred Payton. Yeah. Quickly. I, I was a bit of a skeptic. You know, I, I didn't hate the pick. I, I didn't love the pick as much as I like it right now, but he's been just a pleasure to watch and shout out to recurring guest, Aaron Pearlstein, who was on this train from the get-go. I mean, kudos to him. He called it. But yeah, love what I see from quickly. And I love the fact that Tibbs trusts him. And I hope that this trend of playing the young guys, whether it's quickly, whether it's RJ Barrett, whether it's Mitchell Robinson continues, because that's what's super important for the Knicks more so than anything else. Another guy I was not very fond of before, Austin Rivers. While I'm way more fond of him now, I really like what he brings. I can't believe I'm saying it. I mentioned him before. RJ Barrett looks a lot better in year two than in year one, even with that that slump. There's major improvement there. I mean, if the Knicks could just find shooting lineups, and they may have them when Burks gets back, where you can put Rivers in there, play Barrett with those types of guys and go ultra small with quickly. Like You could figure out lineups to give RJ more space and see what he can really do. But I like what I've seen from Barrett. He's got a chance to be a really nice player in this league. And then there's Julius Randle. I have never been a Julius Randle defender, but I, I can't deny it right now. Uh, he's been unbelievable. Uh, he's turned into a cross between Magic Johnson and Carl Malone. Like, I, I don't even know what I'm saying. And yeah, I'm still not totally buying it. He's in a contract year, but I, I can't deny how impressive he's been. He's the best player on a team that right now is above 500 and he's averaging 22 and 11 with like seven assists a game and he's playing way smarter than he ever has so to hate on julius Randle right now would would just be wrong and to say that it's not impressive would just be a lie now do i think it's going to sustain itself no i probably don't but i gotta give julius Randle his due He's been incredible right now. I mean, this Knicks team is a fun, fun team and they're building an identity. And that's the most important thing that they're building an identity of a team that is going to play hard every single night. Do I think it'll be a 500 team when it's all said and done? No. Right now, their defense currently ranks number nine overall in the league, which for a Tom Thibodeau team is not surprising, but given his uh, where he's come from with the Bulls, but they're giving up a lot of three-point attempts and teams are not shooting well, so maybe there's some shooting luck. They're also giving up a lot of attempts at the rim, so they're going to have to clean one of those things up because you can't do both and have a good defense. But still, they play hard. Now, do I think they're going to be a playoff team? No. No, I don't. But most importantly, he's actually building a culture, something that David Fisdale was hired to do that he could not do. I mean, going from Fisdale to Thibodeau is like going from the Motel 6 to a Hyatt Regency. And the Knicks are doing a lot of good things which bodes well for them for the future on multiple levels. Even if they don't make the playoffs or even the play-in tournament this year, this is building something for the future. And maybe, just maybe, if they're in the lottery, given the karma of them actively trying to win games and putting in the proper effort. Maybe they get lucky in the lottery. Who knows? Stranger things have happened. Happened to New Orleans. It happened to uh, Chicago once upon a time. Crazier things have happened. So yeah, I'm really, I I can't say enough about the Knicks uh, right now and what Tibbs has, has done even in the first seven games. And for the time being, the Knicks are the fifth best team in the East. And guess what? The Nets are 10th. So Knicks fan, stand up. Be proud. Be proud of this team. Enjoy this team. Knicks Twitter has been borderline insufferable today, but I love it. I love every second of it. Knicks tape, here we go. And fuck the Nets as always. One last thing before I bring on tonight's guest to preview the NFL playoffs. We got to talk about what happened on Sunday Night Football between Washington and Philly. So... The Giants, my New York Giants, after beating the Cowboys on Sunday, needed Philly to beat Washington for them to get into the playoffs. Again, the Giants have only won six games. I know. Whatever. So Philly is in a tight one. They're down 17-14. They're driving. Uh, Jalen Hurts is playing well. The young quarterback for Philly, who Philly should definitely be looking at and getting all the snaps that he can get to see if he's the real deal for them going forward and what they're going to do with him and Carson Wentz, but whatever. So they're driving. It's fourth down at the four. They're going in for a touchdown. They decide to go for it. It's 17-14 Washington. They get stopped. All right, no big deal. And then after that, Doug Peterson calls for Nate Sudfeld, the backup QB, Nate Sudfeld, who is terrible. And so he comes in and is terrible, turns the ball over twice in his first two possessions looks like a guy that I can honestly play better NFL quarterback than Nate Sudfeld and the red uh, I should say the Washington football team. We don't call them Redskins anymore. The Washington football team goes on to win uh, giving them the division. And a lot of people are angry that Philly openly tanked a game. Giants fans are angry because they wanted to get into the playoffs. They needed Philly to win. And I get that. I can't get too upset about that because again, the Giants are six and 10 a 6 and 10 team shouldn't make the playoffs but honestly for the integrity of the game and for the integrity of sport to have a team openly wave a white flag like they did and basically stop trying openly trying to lose and for Doug Peterson and his smug ass to say that he was trying to win when Nate by putting in Nate Sudfeld But well, we all know that that's not the case from to lie in his press conference was ridiculous. It was an absolute mockery on the highest level, just insane, absolutely insane. I don't know what the NFL is going to do here, but they should find the Eagles because you can't have it be that on a nationally televised game on Sunday Night Football that a team openly tanks. The way this was, this was more egregious than any other tank job in the history of sports. If you wanted to start Nate Sudfeld from the beginning, fine, be my guest. That's it. Not nearly as open of a tank job as this was. And for the Eagles players who don't care about their draft status and the draft pick for their coach to spit in their face and not give them the best chance to win, especially especially since they were trying the entire game, that's a travesty. And yeah, I'm sure it probably came down from the front office. So the NFL needs to step in here and needs to find the Eagles because you can't have the lack of competitive integrity. You just can't have it. And people are going to say, Aaron, you're just sour because the Giants didn't make the playoffs. That's not. That's really not it. My Zadie, shout out to him, recurring guest on the show, suggested something interesting that... Goodell make the Giants and the Eagles swap picks and find the Eagles. I thought that was a pretty good idea. So shout out to Zadie for that idea. But yeah, just an absolute travesty. And if I'm a player in that Eagles locker room, I'm furious and you can see it. There were videos and gifts that came out on Twitter that the players were furious. And for Doug Peterson to say that he was trying to win the game, putting in Nate Sudfeld, especially after Jalen Hurts had been playing well and in run for two touchdowns is just a mockery of the competitive balance of sport and it should not be tolerated. The NFL needs to step in and do something here. I don't know what it is, what they should do. I mean, I think it should be a fine... I don't hate my Zadies idea, but they have to do something. Anyway, with that said, we're going to bring on a recurring guest to talk all things NFL, especially previewing the playoffs in just a moment. So I teased it a little earlier. Uh, it's time for the entree uh, portion of the, uh, the episode. Uh, we're bringing back on a recurring guest, uh, an excellent recurring guest, one of the smartest football guys I know. Uh, I talk to him all the time. I think you can guess who it is, but I might as well introduce him anyway. Uh, Mr.
2: Shai Elberger. Shai, what's good? Uh, not much. Thanks for uh, having me on. I wasn't sure if you were referring to me or not, but I guess you are. I, uh, I have
1: said it many a times. You're somebody who uh, I trust their football opinion uh, a lot, except when it comes to Evan Ingram, yeah. um, which we have uh, gone back and forth with quite a bit.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, you don't always trust my my views.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I mean, the, you, you can't bat a thousand, buddy. You can't bat a thousand. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, we might as well kick it off there. Obviously, we are on uh, the heels of just watching, you know, Sunday night football go down between the, the Washington football team and the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, our New York Giants had won earlier in the day. Uh, because uh, Washington tanked it a little bit, and we'll uh, we'll get to that in a in a, in a little bit. But uh, so the Giants they finished six and ten. Um, your thoughts on the season? What you like? What you didn't like about the uh, the team right as it currently stands? What you like going forward? What they need? What they don't need on the roster? Just give me your your parting thoughts of the New York Giants season.
2: Yeah. So I think high level. Uh, the outlook is better this or now than it had been the prior two years. I would say, um, coming out of twenty sixteen season, obviously they made the playoffs, so there was a lot of optimism. And then twenty seventeen was the disaster. Uh, they fired everyone, um, but I still kind of was like pretty optimistic going into twenty eighteen. They still had a lot of good players, um, and then that season was horrible. And that's when I really probably that was probably the um, that off season was my first time coming on with you. There was like really no hope. And then the next two seasons sucked. Now I feel like I get it. They were six and 10. If you told me before the season, they were six and 10, I would have been like, all right. I I mean, that's what like the Vegas total was. So whatever, but it was, it was like a different six and 10. Like I, I know there's, there's been a lot of people and you can make the point they really could have won like two or three or four more games. It works the other way also. They could have lost you know, a couple of games that they won. I just think it's very clear, and I know you'd agree with me, that a, there was a significant upgrade from Pat Shermer to Joe Judge. Oh, huge. So, so it really starts with that. Um, neither of us like Jason Garrett as OC. I don't know if that will change or not. But I just think at a high level, like they got better players again, the coach, I like Joe Judge, um, and I just think the outlook is positive, positive. and I will be severely disappointed if they're not, like, seriously in playoff contention next year. And I'm not talking about, like, being 4-10 and 10 and being in playoff contention. I mean, like, a real season. So I, I'm optimistic that way. They obviously have a few needs, uh, more than a few, but at the top of the list, number one receiver – very glaring, very obvious. Uh, they need pass rush help. They played basically the second half of the season with no names as as their number one pass rushers, um, and they need another starting cornerback opposite Bradbury. Uh, that's also very glaring and very obvious. So I would put those three at the top of the list in terms of priorities uh, needing upgrade next year. Um, and then I think we're not we're not done adding to the offensive line. We would have liked to have said by now that kind of all five spots you're confident in. Um, but I don't think we can say that at this point, uh, left guard is still a question mark. The coaching staff clearly soured on Will Hernandez, who didn't even play in week 17. Um, Zeitler is an expensive guy. They could cut at right guard, the right tackle. They kind of alternated throughout the season between Cam Fleming and Matt Parrott, um, and Parrott, showed promise earlier on and kind of dwindled toward the end he also did not play in week 17 so there's still question marks along the offensive line uh so that that needs reinforcements so not not a finished product by any stretch a lot of improvements need to be made Um, but I think as a Giants fan just comparing where I am now to each of the last two years uh, is definitely in a better situation
1: it's funny you said that not all six and 10 teams are created equal, right? Uh, I mean, Bill Parcells famously said, you are what your record is, right? So, you know, to say that they had a successful year would be would be a lie because they didn't, right? And, I mean, we're going to get to them possibly making the playoffs and what happened Sunday night in, in a little bit. But they, you know, Joe Judge, who I was skeptical of when they hired, he was definitely an adult in the room. Right. And that was important because they, they had so many, you know, shit shows with coaches with, uh, Pat Shermer and, uh, and Ben McAdoo. I mean, those guys were just messes. Uh, so definitely having Joe judge in the room, uh, as an adult in the room, who seems like, uh, like a real general who gets his players and his players really respect, uh, that that's number one. And that, and that goes a long, long way. Uh, in terms of, where I see the roster, uh, and, and I guess I'll, I'll ask this to you. You, you mentioned cornerback alongside Bradbury. Uh, they invested a lot of draft capital
2: in cornerback recently. I, am I mistaken here? You are not mistaken, and um, it will be one of, the, one of the things I touch on when we talk about Gettleman, but they did – spend a first round pick on deandre baker is actually a trade-up that wasn't great that that did not work out well they used a supplementary draft pick on sam beal which was a third round pick he has played i want to say less than six games in in the last three years he was injured and then he opted out this year so going into next year he will have played like five games um and then they also drafted julian love in the fourth round who has played and seems to be like an okay piece of the secondary. I don't think he's a, he's a straight cornerback. So, and then obviously they signed Bradbury, which was a home run. So they have invested and it just, you know, one of those things worked out really well in Bradbury love is okay. And the other two did not work out at all. So he, he has tried and then um, just hasn't been that successful. So, Having said that, and
1: oh, just one more quick question before I guess I give my thoughts on the roster. Um, what's their cap situation like uh, going into the offseason?
2: season? Or they have season? they have a a healthy cap situation. They uh, actually saw today, as it currently stands, they have like the seventeenth most space, which is literally which is right average, um, but very easy for them to create a lot more cap space. Um and that's cutting Golden Tate, and if they were to cut Adios. Zeitler, See ya. Uh, Golden Tate's definitely cut. Um, if Zeitler were to get cut or, you know, restructured contract, um, they have a couple of, like, backups that are signed to, you know, a few million-dollar contract. So they could easily create, you know, 10 to 15 million more in cap space. Um,
1: yeah, but, I, I the, but
2: the Leonard Williams eventual extension yes. is going to so... cut into that. So, so for sure, I, I don't expect them to copy what they did last off season where they didn't spend like crazy. It wasn't like 2016, but they gave Bradbury and Blake Martinez pretty good contracts on three-year deals. And Logan um, Ryan got a deal. And Logan Ryan was signed right in August. So I, I, I do think they are going to sign one or two, um, maybe not, you know, upper, upper echelon free agents. Um, but Bradbury wasn't thought of that to be that either. So, you know, th- they can sign people. They have their own players to sign. As you, as you mentioned, um, Leonard Williams, which is, it's like, I'm almost like tired about talking about the Leonard Williams situation because the people that don't understand it just will never understand it. Very good player. Obviously had the best year of his career. Still think the trade was idiotic. And In a contract year in a contract year, which backed Gettleman into having to franchise tag him this year. And now has backed him into requiring a hefty contract. So I'm, I'm happy he's on the team and I'm happy he will be on the team. I believe it's just, we're going to end up in hindsight paying like way, way more than we firmly could have or should have. Well, well um, yeah, yeah. He's um, that
1: he had an amazing year. That guy though, you know, makes me nervous in terms of like, once he gets paid that all of a sudden he's just not going to give a shit anymore. Um, I, I don't know why I hope not, obviously. And, uh, I I know he definitely enjoyed the giants organization more than the jets organization. I mean, as bad as the giants been and have been at least, you know, they are a good organization with, with the strong ownership group. I just, I am nervous about what's going to happen there. And they can't franchise
2: tag him again, correct? Um, they could. You can franchise tag someone twice in a row, like Cousins was on their on Washington. Um, it's just it's like more money than this year's franchise tag would be. So it would be you end up paying him like forty five million over two years or something like that. Crazy. They're not going to do that. Um, right. I I don't know Leonard Williams that well uh, personally. I don't know him at all. But just <laughs> watching as a fan he doesn't strike me as someone that would like loaf after signing the contract. Um, he, he has said, it's not about the money, which I, I, whether or not he means it. he has agents who, who do care about the money. Um, I just don't see him being that kind of person. Uh, and and I would hope judge would be able to realize that and, and see if that were the case before giving him such an extension. Got it. Got it. That makes sense.
1: I, um, so I agree with you on the number one receiver. Um, I think that's their number one need. Uh, we'll get to, you know, what we think of Daniel Jones um, in, in a couple of moments, but so where do you see them going in terms of finding that receiver? Do you see them going the free agent route or do you see them going the draft route? Cause I would personally rather them go the draft route.
2: Yeah, th- there's, well, there's, First of all, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I, I could definitely see kind of like an a B list signing free agent and an early you know, first, second, or third round pick receiver. Um, I, I wouldn't say that they only need one receiver. Um, you know, would it be the worst thing if Slayton and Shepard were kind of a three and four? No, I don't think that. Um, in terms of free agency, it's kind of hard to predict because you don't know who's going to get franchise tagged. So, for instance, Allen Robinson, I would love him on the Giants, but the Bears could tag him. Kenny Galladay, he's kind of had some injury uh, uh, this year, at least was was injured for a lot of it. But I'm I'm a big Kenny Galladay fan, um, and I would be surprised if the Lions just let him hit free agency. The one name, I guess there are Juju Smith-Schuster. No, thank uh, you. More of a slot receiver, yeah. Well, I mean, you and him have the same dance moves, so that would work out. Well, I mean, um, I mean, talent is talent, but no. <laughs> Juju um, the, somewhere else. the one receiver I could see um, having interest is Corey Davis from the Titans. Um, yeah. And just kind of like what you just touched on with Leonard Williams, he was in a contract year and he had his best year. So uh, I agree with you with that reaction. Like, uh, I don't think he's a true number one you can make the case, you know, he's young, he's, he's, whatever he is, he's 25. Maybe he's just like, you know, this is his, he's becoming a number one. Um, but he doesn't strike me the same way when, when the Giants signed plaques way back in 2005, where he was just like, he was clearly really athletically talented. Um, Pittsburgh just had other receivers at the, and They couldn't pay him. And, you know, he was this big six foot five guy, like definite number one receiver potential. Uh, I don't feel that way for Corey Davis uh, and I I would hope he, you know, he wouldn't get a huge contract. So I don't know. They could go that route and uh, round one, round two would not surprise me whatsoever. Uh, I had no idea the Heisman trophy was tonight. And I just got an alert like 10 minutes ago that the Alabama dude won it. The So I don't know if he lasts till 11. I, I don't know. I've never seen him play. I have no clue. I do think receiver would be an option in the first round. So that's where I want them to go Uh, from the little that I know
1: about the draft. uh, And I'm not an NFL draft expert, but from what the little that I know is that there are three awesome wide receivers in the first round. Um, There's one guy from LSU who opted out of the season. Um, I forget what his name is. Then there's the two guys from Alabama. Devontae Jamar chase. uh, Yeah, I think so. Jamar chase. And then there's Devonta Smith from Alabama and uh, Waddle from Alabama. Yeah, I am good with any of those because I unless they're signing Allen Robinson to a nice deal, uh, I don't want any of the guys that you just mentioned, any of them.
2: Yeah, there. I mean, there's it's hard. I mean, number one receivers like any premium position, they rarely hit the market, uh, and if they do, there's there's a reason. Um, trying to think of other receivers, I've seen uh, not not big names. I feel like could be wrong here, but Mike Williams on the Chargers I think is a free agent, um, but uh, he's he's not you know he's not a number one. Um, so I really do think it's it's really vital they get someone. It was just painful watching Giants receivers just not create separation and just you know really really makes it tough. You know, I, I really think back to like if Eli did not have plaques those first few years, how many times he bailed him out and how important a guy like that is for a young quarterback. Um, they do need, they definitely need to sign a top guy or draft in the first couple of rounds. And so I go- would be shocked if they don't.
1: So let's go right there. So what do we, what do we make of Daniel
2: Jones right now? Uh, he, uh, I'll say this. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Daniel Jones fan. I think it's easier to defend the camp of people that say he sucks than the people who say or have all the confidence that he is a franchise quarterback. Like if I had to if I had to choose one of those two options for how it's going to go, I would probably have to choose that he sucks because there's just been more evidence of him not being good than being great, especially this year. After last year I would have maybe said the other way. However, we have just seen many, many instances of really good throws, really tight window accuracy, the mobility when he can run, um, and I also build in the ability to improve in certain areas, and I also include the fact that the O-line still has not been good. He obviously lost Saquon this year. Gallman was good. So I can't really even say that that was a huge detriment. Uh, I just think the receiver and Ingram were just really subpar this year. So similar to like Sam Darnold on the jets, who I know you think is trash and he might be, but you're just not giving them a lot to work with to show if they're really good or not. Having said all that, I'm a hundred percent sure he's going to be the quarterback next year and next year will determine what his future is. Like, if we're sitting here next year a year from now saying, what do you make of Daniel Jones? That probably means he did not have a good season. We need to be sitting here next year saying, like, year three was the year, and, you know, he is the guy for the next five years.
1: So the, the best-case scenario, right, is, is you look at Josh Allen, who was pretty mediocre, to put it kindly, last year. Um, you know, with a much better roster. And then all of a sudden in year three, went when crazy, when he got Stefan Diggs, right? Like that's like the best case scenario. Right. That, uh, who knows? But I mean, if I were in the Giants draft room, obviously I'm looking at a pass catcher in the first round, whether it's a wide receiver or whether it's the, um, the tight end from Florida, uh, because I want Evan Ingram gone. Um, I know you and I differ on this, but I, I really think they should either be looking to trade him, or uh, he's he's just he's cost them multiple games over the last two years, and a tight end shouldn't be costing you games.
2: Yeah, I'm not gonna. Okay, so coming into the season, obviously, I was a big Ingram fan. I there is I, I cannot defend that he had any sort of good season. He was horrible. And it was really, really disappointing to me. Um, I I don't, we disagree really on prior to 2020 Evan Ingram, because this year we both agree he was horrendous. He sucked. I still think he has potential. I don't know what his issues were this year, mental. I don't know. I will say I would be very anti-drafting a tight end with the 11th pick even the guy out of florida who's a I, i i just think they have too many other more important needs with i mean you're you're because when you evaluate evan ingram you think he is like he should be cut and not in the nfl whereas i think he's a starting nfl tight end on the cheap so it would to me it would just it would it would just be and not the best use of, um, of the 11th. All right, fine. You want to so, take a tight end in round three, round four? Be my guest.
1: I hear that. Um, so, yeah, I want them to go wide receiver in the first round. And in the second round, I, I would not mind if they drafted a quarterback. Uh, that's know, not going to happen. You know, one of those guys who, like, fell – who has, like, first-round grade, let's say, like, Matt Jones. I think his name is Matt Jones, right, from Alabama, the quarterback from Alabama, or the guy from Florida, Kyle Trask. Like, if they fell to the second round, like, why not?
2: Um, I, I again, would be pretty upset if that happened. And more than that, I really do not see Gettleman – whose entire tenure now is staked to Daniel Jones drafting a quarterback in round two. I, I would be shocked. Wouldn't that extend his possible uh, employment? No. As well? He doesn't get to then say, Oh, well, if Jones isn't good, well now I have this other guy. So let's wait and to see what happens to him. If what I will say, if Jones, if next year is Jones's last year on the giants, then it is Gettleman's last year as well there. He doesn't get to do a, a second quarterback. Uh, you know, early pick, I I would be shocked. I just, I don't see that. I think they are fully committed to Jones next year.
1: So are we excited that Gettleman is back?
2: I think we know the answer to that is no. Um, I will say, I try to be objective and I am objective. And the mandate after last season from Mara was that Gettleman has to uh, increase his batting average. And from that point forward, we, we mentioned James Bradbury signing, Blake Martinez, Logan Ryan, Graham Gano. Like those were his top four signings in free agency, all get grades of an A. His draft, I, I don't like really even evaluating a draft after one year, but it does look promising. And that's including Andrew Thomas struggling for the first half of the year and i think really improving in the second half of the year so i mean objectively looking at it now he raised his batting average which is what was necessary i i I think this offseason and the draft again will just give more evidence into what he's about if he you know signs more run stopping defensive tackles and signs three old running backs then you know we're back to square one um I like to think and hope that Judge has a a large influence on personnel and you could argue that, oh, all of a sudden Gettleman's free agent signings are good and his draft picks are good. What a coincidence. Joe Judge is here. Now that's that's a claim I can make without any evidence. So I'm not excited that he's back, but all I care about is the team being good. And so if the team is good next year, I'm not going to be like, Oh, I, uh, you know, I love that we're 11 and five. I just wish Gettleman were fired. Like, no, I, I would say, I would have to say, you know, it took longer than I wanted and I don't agree with some of his philosophy, but in the end now the giants are 11 and five and he's the GM. So, right. you know, it goes hand in hand when the giants were horrible and his moves were questionable. I despised him. If they, if they improve and are good and his signings now are good, then, you know, I have to, with new information, my opinion can change. So Kevin Clark
1: said something on the ringer with Ryan Rosillo, that a a rebuild for an NFL team could really take two years, but it shouldn't take more than two years, right? You should be able to really flip the switch in two years. I mean, you look at what the Dolphins did in the last two years. Um, So when I look at Gettleman, it's just like, you know, it's been two years of shit, and now, I mean, as we said, the trajectory is looking up, but if next year we're looking at, you know, seven and nine again, six and ten, like like enough is enough already.
2: Yeah, I, I would say, you know, if you're six and ten, I'm not sure what your, what your playoff situation is as of December, and, and I would say if, the, if they're in that territory – I think I think it might be over for them. I don't think they can afford any more, uh, you know, backwards seasons. You know, it can only and and seven wins I guess would be an improvement. But no, it's not. um, I don't
1: even think eight and eight's enough.
2: Yeah, uh, it uh, again like everything. It kind of you know how it plays out to eight and eight matters. Um, You know, for what if they're eight and eight and you know had a horrendous. Season of injuries, and you know, right. somehow they got to eight and eight. You never know how that right. works out, but I will say if they're in a the six, seven win range or less, obviously, uh, that does not bode well for his future. So, but so we don't think that
1: a six win team is going to be in the discussion for winning the division on the last day of the season, um, next year, like it was this year. So, we got to talk about it real quick. I mean, obviously, the emotional roller coaster that Sunday night football was. Uh, if the Eagles had beaten the Washington football team, we uh, the Giants would have gotten in at six and ten, which is which is absurd. Uh, your thoughts watching this whole thing unfold. Obviously, we know what happened with Doug Peterson, basically waving the white flag, even though he he said that they were playing to win when putting in Nate Sudfeld. That was just a blatant lie. Your thoughts on the whole thing?
2: I will say, um, once I saw toward the end, of, toward um, toward the weekend, that a lot of the Eagles players were out, like Miles Sanders and Fletcher Cox and a bunch of guys. Um, I really, I obviously wanted to beat Dallas and, and was treating it as a very stressful game. Um, I did not have too much optimism that the Eagles were would win that game. And then as the game starts out, it's quickly like ten nothing, Washington. And I wasn't even, like, you know, emotional. It was kind of playing out how I expected. Then the Eagles go up 14-10 out of nowhere, and I'm like, huh, interesting. This uh, this could be a very enjoyable night. And, uh, and then Washington scored right before the half. Logan Thomas, former Giant, former Giant tight end, uh, quarterback, I will add, who's, who's now a tight end. Um, So the Washington goes up three at the half. And again, I'm like, all right, they're not going to, I mean, they're going to win. Eagles are not going to win. That one, they pulled hurts. So I I don't know if you saw Matthew Berry had retweeted a tweet like Sunday morning from some Eagles writer saying uh, Doug Peterson said Nate Sudfeld could get some time if it makes sense in the game or something. So when they pulled hurts, you know, down three in the fourth, a third or fourth quarter, you know, to me, that's not really the time where quote, it would make sense. I'm thinking more Eagles are down 20 or something like that. Um, But it really didn't shock me because I kind of felt that it was going to go that way. Um, But it really was surprising just how bad I like. I, I don't know what I expected from a third string quarterback, but they must have known that he was awful. And, I mean, putting him in the game obviously gave the Eagles no chance to win that game. So it was um, – you know, if I was just watching by myself without Twitter, without, you know, commentary, I would have just thought, like, whatever, the Eagles, they have nothing to gain. They, they're trying to get the better pick. Like, it sucks for the Giants, but, you know, Giants were 6-10. and 10, They can't really complain. But then when you see, like, everyone on Twitter is just like, this is an embarrassment. This is a busha. Uh Chris Collinsworth is just railing on them during the game. Like, I would not have done this. I can't imagine, you know, being on a team where this would happen. <clears throat> then you see Miles Sanders yesterday or today saying, like, they were all pissed. Uh, it, it was I – don't, I don't think I've ever seen in a game – An in-game move for a team to clearly try to lose. To me, it would have been a lot different if they just said before the game, Hertz is not playing or he's the backup. We want Sudfeld to play the whole game. He didn't get preseason, blah, blah, blah. But to play Hertz for three quarters and then take him out in a three point game for this scrub, I've not, I can't remember ever seeing that in-game move to clearly try to lose. And the crazy thing to me is it's not like we're the Giants situation where if they lost to Dallas, you know, they could end up picking like six, but if they make the playoffs, they could pick 20th. The Eagles gained three spots from losing, which to me does not seem like that big of a deal to, to really try to lose so badly. So that's, what's even more mind boggling to me, but they clearly had no interest in winning. Um, I, and Peterson saying he's trying to win the game and, you know, Sudfeld so deserved reps is complete BS. Uh, he he really should have just said like you know we don't want Hurts to get injured or something like that. But yeah, I, I've never seen anything like that. So I wasn't uh, I wasn't too too upset because all week I didn't really think the Eagles would win. Um, so you know that that's that's their problem. And and again like the Giants were six and ten, they can't can't be complaining that you know the Eagles tanked and that's why they didn't make the playoffs.
1: Correct. But the but the crazy thing was is that the Eagles had just gone for it on fourth and four at their uh, fourth down at the uh, four yard line down three to then try and win the game right they didn't convert he then pulls Jalen Hurts for Nate Sudfeld right we've seen Nate Sudfeld's work before it's bad. OK, if you started, as you said, if you started Sudfeld from the beginning, then whatever. Fine. It is what it is. But like to then go on, you know, record and say we were trying to win it is just like, don't piss on my face and tell me it's raining. Right. Like that is <laughs> that happened to you before? <laughs> no, but you know what I'm saying? No, like, I know. It's a good analogy. I mean, we, the only time I've really seen that is uh, is the scene in American Pie 2. But anyway, uh, it's just a total crock of shit. And it, it's not so much about the Giants' play, playoff, um, you know, hopes or you know them being deserving playoff team. There were six and ten. I don't think a six and ten team should ever make the playoffs. However, if if you're the NFL, right, and and this game is on Sunday Night Football, you can't have this. You absolutely can't have this. it's bad for the, the brand of, of the sport. Like there needs to be like competitive integrity. Okay. It it can't be this blatant. And if you're Roger Goodell, you have to do something here.
2: And so it's not, it's not the Eagles fault that they were on national TV and when they scheduled the game the eagles were still alive for the division i believe but, it, but that doesn't matter so, doesn't so matter. do you think what do you think has do you think the nfl has to tell peterson before the game don't you dare pull any shenanigans no like, what, i, w- I would
1: think no i would think that that it would be implied that a coach wouldn't blatantly give up on a game and wave a white flag you know blatant i i think that they would have enough integrity to play the game to its fullest potential because the guys want to win right they don't like to lose they agreed who, who, the players don't give a shit about the the draft pick i mean they're trying to win so it's a slap in the face to the players but having but I, said that now that he's done it like you have to find the organization because, yeah, I'm sure the call came down from upstairs, right? I, I, I don't think Doug Peterson just willingly was like, all right, you know what? We're done. I, I'm sure the call came from downstairs, but then you have to find the organization. Or, and something that my Zadie suggested when we actually spoke over the phone was, have the Giants and the Eagles swap draft slots, that's how you That's how you avoid this, right? That's how you
2: get this well, out of the way. I think, I mean, that would be a very specific resolution. Uh, and if they wanted, if Goodell wanted to ensure that this type of thing didn't happen, they could kind of go and you'll say NBA tanking happens all the time, but just, you know, have some sort of weighted lottery for the order and not just worst team picks first. Second worst pick second. Like, I mean, we, we live in New York, New Jersey for four months. All we heard was the jets need to lose. Is that good for the game? You know, the the Jaguars, you know, have to lose. They didn't play James Robinson the last like three weeks. But this, this was different. This was, was like, like
1: everything else, right? There's, it's how you present it and, and the ways you go about it, right? The jets being bad, they're just bad, Right. But this was different. This was like you completely in the middle of a game were just like, that's it. We're not trying anymore. After you had been trying the entire game up until that point.
2: uh, Right. So so a couple more thoughts is like the Steelers took out Big Ben mid-game. Didn't they? Am I wrong on that? No, I think he I don't oh, think he no, he never started. He didn't play at all. Right. Yeah. So so now it's the thing of like well he started but didn't play or you took him out like is that what it is? And then also what are you going to do find the Eagles and say like you put in a player who is so bad that the egregiousness of you even putting Nate Sutfeld on the field all but assured your team to lose. It's like I also don't see Goodell, like going that route and dissing a player so badly. Like, we have to fine you for playing this player.
1: But again, not everything is, it, everything is its own circumstance, right? You saw the way the game was playing out. You saw them go for it on fourth down a lot, okay? To then openly just be like, ah, we're done. That's crazy. That That's next level.
2: And yeah, we- I've, I've never seen it. And by the way, there were, um, before they went for it on from the four yard line, they also had that possession where they got to like the 36 and it was like fourth and five. And you know, wow, where's the aggressiveness there. They literally took a delay of game to punt. That to me was a move of like, we don't really care if we win or don't or not. So from the 35 yard line, we're just going to punt from the four. I was honestly happy. They went for the touchdown from the four yard line. Um, because uh, I think a team like the Eagles, who's not going to the playoffs, they should be aggressive in those situations. Maybe they called a crappy play on purpose I, or something. I, like I
1: agree. I thought they should have gone for it too. especially. I with- think you
2: go for it on every fourth down. What, yeah. What's the difference? Yeah. Yeah, it was I, – I had not seen that before. And I, and I understand the outrage. And, you know, obviously part of it is because it affected the Giants – um, and from that standpoint, I think may, hopefully the punishment for the Eagles is that the players don't respect them anymore and their locker room goes to shit.
1: I, I just, I, I, this is as out in the open as it's ever been. I think in any sport, you've never seen tanking mid game like this in an NBA game. You just haven't right. Yeah. The, the Philadelphia 76ers can play G League guys all day. But like at least they're they're starting the game. They're playing the game. This this was so over the top that for that for the competitive landscape of the league, you can't have this. And the Eagles should be fined.
2: Yeah, if you remember like with two minutes left and the Redskins were running it out, the guy fumbled and the ball like popped up for a second where for a split second, you were like, holy shit, the Eagles are about to like scoop and score and return it for a touchdown. And then my thought was like Peterson would have instructed like anyone who recovered the fumble to just like run out of bounds at the one yard line to, to not get into the end zone um, or, or something to that effect. But yeah, I hear you. I mean, yeah, it would be like, you know, team trying to lose and just in the NBA, just like, not playing any of your starters in the second half, uh, just putting in all your uh, your G League players,
1: and then and then legitimately trying to score on the other basket. I mean, the right. nature of basketball <laughs> is different yeah. than the nature of football, but that's yeah. essentially what this
2: was. Just taking your own uh, your it, own yeah, uh, safety in your own end zone.
1: Cr- it was crazy. All right, but okay. So that that's enough for that stupidity. Uh, onto the games that matter, right? So, uh, wild card weekends this weekend. Um, I mean, it's have you seen a year where the separation between the A, you know, one conference to another is so drastic, right? I mean, the AFC is so superior to the NFC this year. Like, do you remember anything like it, like this?
2: Um, I honestly hadn't even. I hadn't given it much thought until you, you put that on the the outline and I really started to think, and yeah, there's definitely way more good teams in the AFC this year. Um, I, it's hard for me to like go back every year and and compare, but there's definitely um, the the AFC has the power this year. So if I told you
1: this year, and I haven't looked at this um, for for the betters out there that if I said, AFC in the Super Bowl was favored by 5 points. Would that be crazy to you?
2: Uh, if you said that right now? Right um, now. No, it would not be crazy to me. Uh, no, that would not be crazy to me. If I think I, the, I, only, oh, the only the only NFC team that could be favored is Green Bay. Um but if it's like Kansas City versus anyone that that might be five points i guess depending on how they look but uh yeah no that would not surprise me
1: what if i said that buffalo was the best team in the league right now
2: um i would say i think the chiefs are better than them okay make, make the case Because the Chiefs... Well, the the case is, to me, is kind of simple, is that the Chiefs won the Super Bowl and then are the one seed this year and don't have any real injuries. And until they are knocked off their mantle, they're the number one team to me. So it doesn't
1: worry you that the Chiefs have basically coasted and looked pretty pedestrian uh, the last couple of weeks and the Bills have been kicking the crap out of everybody. I mean, their backups kicked the crap out of the Dolphins this week in the second half. And the Dolphins won 10 games. They're not a slouch team.
2: I I, I, I don't disagree. The Bills um, Bills are might be the second best team in the NFL. And they're certainly playing really well. Um, and Josh Allen has all season, I kept thinking he was, I guess he had like a, Two or three game stretch in the middle where he wasn't great, but definitely impresses me every time I watch him. M- much better than I I thought he would be two years ago. Um, I just I, I think there could be. Uh, it's hard to really say this in the NFL, but like, were the Chiefs bored? Like, who who is really chasing them for the one seed those last? Well, they sure as shit weeks.
1: looked bored.
2: I, I wish I-, I did think they would crush Atlanta. Um, Just Even just because I feel like Atlanta, Matt Ryan, and the outdoors does not go well. Um, But they obviously didn't. They won by a little. I just think, you know, until – hopefully we get a Bills-Chiefs-AFC championship. Um, But until they're knocked off, I still have the Chiefs as number one.
1: I do, too, push comes to shove just because I trust Patrick Mahomes more than anybody else – in the sport. Um even Aaron Rodgers, uh the only other guy I trust almost as much as Mahomes is is Russell Wilson. Um but What about him
2: the the last several weeks? Well,
1: he's- we'll get to them when we preview that game, but he's not been been great and it's funny that the the flip has been totally switched between the offense and the defense. Their defense has been balling out and their offense has kind of looked rather crappy, but even still like he comes up with you know, one or two plays at the end of every game that just decides it, whatever. They win ugly. That's what Seattle does. It's like classic Pete Carroll. We'll get into them in a second. So, but yeah, push comes to shove. I trust the Chiefs more, but like the Bills are really good. And I would think the Bills would be favored by, you know, four or five points against any NFC team as well
2: on a neutral field. You think Bills would be favored by four or five over the the Packers or the Bucks or the Saints? I do. Hmm. Uh, it's. Uh, I think. I mean, yeah. I we'll have to see these next few weeks. I feel like when when you know, let's say the Bills like, I mean they'd have to beat the Chiefs, but if they you know breeze through the first two rounds, you know, winning by twenty, and then they beat the Chiefs, yeah, I could see it. I think a lot, a lot has to do with how the playoffs unfold.
1: I I think that I don't see a scenario. Like, I'm not even sold on the Packers being as good as their record is. Um, I, you can make a case for five of the seven NFC teams can make the Super Bowl. I don't think that's really the case for the AFC, but I also think that for example, like the Ravens at their best, are probably better than every NFC team outside of Green Bay. Agreed. Maybe New Orleans, and I don't even think the Ravens are going to win this weekend.
2: I, um, I knew you would not pick them.
1: Well, we'll get we'll get to that. I mean, so it's just I just think there's a huge gap between the AFC and the NFC this year. And I, I don't remember another year being where I felt this strongly about one conference, especially the two teams at the top versus the other.
2: Yeah. It's um, well, the playoffs, weird things always happen in the playoffs. So, you know, a week from now, we could be looking at a lot different playoff picture than what you think.
1: All right. So with that said, let's go through each of the games. Uh, And we're going to uh, give our picks and we're going to give picks for uh, winning outright and the spread. So we're going to start with the Colts and the bills Uh, bills are at home. They are giving six and a half points to the Colts. The Colts to me are the most uninspiring 11 win team, but for some reason, you know, they, they just win games. And I mean, 11 and five is 11 and five. So uh, what do you make of this game and uh, who do you like?
2: So I, I do think the Colts defense and I, I really probably only know this because I had them in fantasy all year. The Colts defense is very good. I'm um, probably underrated due to a couple of reasons. The fact that the Colts did not have many primetime games this year. I honestly can't even remember one night game that the Colts played. Um, and two is they don't really have any household names on defense. So well, Darius, Darius, uh,
1: Leonard, Darius Leonard is right.
2: So we know him. I'm not sure, you know, if the casual NFL fan knows who he is. He, he's incredible. Um, but even outside of that, like they have DeForest Bruckner and um, they got the guy from the chiefs, uh, Chris Jones, Chris Jones. Yeah. So, all right. So, okay. So they, they have those guys who I still, you know, I, I still stand by. They're not, not household names um but i do i, I mean chris jones is really good but um i think their defense just overall is really good i do not trust rivers i think rivers stinks um and somehow they won a lot games um they just i guess that what he's good at he's good at which are you know these short accurate passes to running backs and tight ends and um ty hilton Indy outdoors, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Buffalo. I assume we're not doing spreads. Uh I do think the Bills win straight up. Um and this has a little fun aspect to the game in that Frank Reich, the Colts coach, was the Bills quarterback. The comeback uh, oilers. Right. In, in that crazy that, playoff game.
1: What was it, nineteen ninety three?
2: They came back from like oh no, later down. than that later it was like it was mid or late 90s No, no it was uh no way
1: hmm. it was early 90s hmm. i think that i think the i think the that was one of their super bowl years i'm almost positive one um second. we'll 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 check yeah we'll, we'll get time. to that um but okay so uh we, you're
2: right 1993
1: see there you go and people say I'm just an NBA guy. <laughs> so who do you like in this game? Because as much as I had just talked up the Bills, right? I think the Bills, you can make a case that they're the best team in the league. I would not be surprised if the Colts covered this spread.
2: What is the spread? 60 six, cents. Six and a half. Um... It would not surprise me either. Any any team that has a top defense, I think, always has a good chance to cover You know, a six-point spread.
1: Push comes to shove. If you were going to wager on it, which way would you go?
2: Hmm. I would wager on the Colts.
1: The Colts giving the six and a half, but you think yes. Buffalo is going to win. Correct. That's where I'm leaning as well but that's where I'm leaning as well. All right, so next game. We've got the Rams and Seattle. Uh, Any news of Goff? Is Goff going to play? Because, and did they, Seattle's minus four, did they bake Goff's injury into the
2: line? Well, it's, uh, so Seattle by four? Seattle by four. Hmm. Uh, I would imagine that they would have, um, but I would also take Seattle. I was gonna say this this line seems to be pretty um pretty easy, no? Yeah, that's what I, I'm yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if that's closer to like six and a half by Sunday or Saturday, or whatever they're playing. Gotcha. So well, I mean we're we're both in agreement. I mean, I'm more of a Goff
1: fan than most, because I, I I think he can be good. Like I know his bad is very bad. He's kinda like Eli Manning in that respect. But his good can also be really good. Uh, If he's not right, I don't see how Seattle, with the way their defense is playing, I don't see how they lose this game. And I think they should cover the four easily. But Seattle hasn't really been winning by a large margin.
2: No, they they haven't. haven't.
1: They haven't been playing backup quarterbacks.
2: Uh, That's true. That's true. I don't know what Seattle's deal is. They, They clearly tailed off a little bit at the end there.
1: Um, so yeah, but we both like Seattle to win at home and cover, correct? Correct. Okay. So, so far we're in agreement, uh, on the first two games. Now we got Washington at Tampa Bay. Uh, this game is in Washington. Tampa Bay is favored by eight. (sighs)
2: So I have two thoughts and each of them has to do with the, the defense's Um, It's really hard for me to see Washington scoring more than like 17 points. However, we know the kryptonite to Tom Brady is a ferocious D line. And that is what Washington has. So I think it's really easy to just quickly be like, whatever NFC East team was going to play is going to get blown out. So Tampa is going to crush Washington. We should just keep in mind that Washington's, ultimate strength is Brady's ultimate weakness. And a lot of times that that comes through in the game. So I do think Tampa will win, but it would not shock me if it was, you know, 24, 17, or something like that.
1: And weird stuff happens. We see it every year. It doesn't just go chalk, weird stuff happens. And this was the game that I was like, I don't know how Washington with Alex Smith, you know, not being able to move how they score 17 points in this game. But then again, Chase Young is a monster and they have other monsters on that defensive line. And we've seen, you know, we've seen the Giants even this year when they played Tampa Bay, it was a two point game, right? A game that the Giants actually should have won. Uh, two point game and it's because they roughed up Brady like crazy. And yeah, I know Tampa's finding a little bit of a groove. Antonio Brown's getting into a bit of a groove. Um, but yeah, I I'm with you on this one. I think I think Washington covers the eight. I don't think I, they I did, do, but I think they cover the eight.
2: I do too. Um, and I will make this other note that we probably have to factor in although the spread probably does already that in another year the added thing you're getting for Washington is the home home crowd, which yeah, is yeah, that doesn't fact. matter to this year. So Washington, you know, in, in the history of these crappy divisional winners hosting playoff games and winning, like Seattle has and Carolina has, one advantage they had was that they were home and they had the home crowd. This is basically a neutral field game, so that goes out the window. But yeah, I, I agree. I, I think Washington covers.
1: Uh, Fun story about that Seattle win against the Saints um, after the year after the Saints won the Super Bowl. I was in a a pick 'em pool pool, basically like a survivor pool called the Commish, right? First place was about $255,000. And I made it all the way through the entire regular season. So it spilled over into the playoffs. I picked the Saints. Marshawn Lynch breaks off the beast mode run. Uh, that goes my share of $255,000 and I punched a hole in my parents' uh, basement wall. <laughs> so that, that, <laughs> that, that, was fun. So yeah, I, uh, I, so we like Tampa Bay to win Washington to cover bears saints.
2: Ugh, I feel, I really feel like Bears saints was a recent playoff game. Wasn't it like I in the last I- five years?
1: Well, the year the Saints won the uh won the Super Bowl. No, I should was say that the that? year the Bears went to the Super Bowl, they beat the Saints in the snow.
2: Uh so when I say recently it was 14 years ago. Uh, we're getting <laughs> old. <again>. <laughs> <laughs> um so I what what is what was the spread you said? Uh 10. New Orleans is giving 10. Whew.
1: Man. It's a big number.
2: Yeah. Uh well, I guess there's a big question is Kamara playing.
1: I'm sure he'll be back. Uh to me the bigger question is Roquan Smith.
2: So I did the not Bears. even know uh yeah, I didn't even know he was he was in doubt. Uh, 10. I uh, I'm going to have to go with the Bears. I just have not I've not been that impressed with the Saints on offense this year that leads me to believe that they'll cover 10. Um I, this I think will be a low scoring game which also makes it hard to cover a 10 point spread so if it's kind of like a Washington Tampa score 23-16 or something like that 27 i guess that's kind of a lot 23 you know 17 14 i do think the bears will cover this
1: and we're going to differ here as much as i haven't been impressed by the saints and i respect the bears defense uh, the saints defense is is pretty good um I just I, I don't like Mitch Trubisky in this spot. So like I could see this game being 21-10.
2: And this well, big? no, they cover by a lot.
1: Yeah. Well, no, not by a lot. I mean they, not out, they'd by, one. by one point. Yeah. Math is hard. All right. So we differ here. We both like the Saints to win. We both like the uh I mean you like the Bears to cover the 10. I like uh the Saints to cover. Brown Steelers. It's in Pittsburgh. These teams played Week Seventeen. There was no Ben Roethlisberger. Pittsburgh's minus six. What do you think of this game?
2: Is that a spread from today, or, or is that from? I'm looking at.
1: More? I'm looking at it right now on the ESPN.com okay. page.
2: So that's factoring six. in all of this Browns-Michigas uh, that's going on.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, for those who don't know, the Browns, um, Kevin Stefanski. Uh, and a couple of the other coaches are uh, are out on Sunday uh, due to uh, COVID.
2: Yeah, that's got to mess up a lot of things. Pass, um, right? And he's not – they have players. They have the, their starting left guard, who's a three-time pro bowler, is not playing. Uh, he's out with COVID, um, which I saw just – a uh, tweet about that today is that uh, he's been on the Browns for six years, played through one and 15, Oh, and 16 three-time pro bowler finally makes the playoffs and he gets COVID. Um, I do think Pittsburgh will cover. Um, I, Pittsburgh was my, was my, was my team when we spoke back in August or September and it was looking pretty hot when they were 11 and zero. And then they, they clearly, I don't know what happened in December, but did not look good at all. I just think this, very hard for a team um in Cleveland situation to overcome what they're going through right now and I, I think Pittsburgh will cover
1: I really wanted to lean the Browns covering the six um with the the and I was going to go that way until I heard the uh, the COVID news um about you know how many guys are going to be out with COVID and the coaching staff being out with COVID because I think the coach of the year is going to not be on the sidelines. I think that's got to matter. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go Pittsburgh in this spot also to win and cover the six. And uh, so, but if everything was equal, I would have picked the Browns. And shout out to the Browns for the making the playoffs for the first time in 18 years. Good for them. Indeed, good for them. All right, last one: Ravens Titans. Baltimore is favored by three. This is in Tennessee. What say you? (sighs)
2: Uh, I'm going to go with Baltimore. Um, Now, I would have said that last year also, and Tennessee surprised all of us, and me for sure, winning in Baltimore. So it's obviously not impossible. Um, It just seems like Baltimore is really hitting their stride right now. And Tennessee, I feel like we just know what they are. They are are Derek Henry, they are A.J. Brown, and their defense stinks. So I I don't know. It it really has to just do with how, how Baltimore is playing right now. They were a little iffy for most of the season, but the last several weeks they've really upped their game. And I do think they they definitely want revenge on Tennessee from last year's playoff exit. So I will take Baltimore.
1: All right. We're going to end off on a differing of opinion because I'm going to take Tennessee. Uh, I think it's crazy that a home team is giving three points. I think it's crazy uh, given – I know Lamar Jackson has played well of late, they haven't really played anybody good, so I don't know what to make of his hot start. And given his uh, little bugaboo for his his playoff experience, how can he be favored on the road? Like, since when does he get this kind of respect? Especially for a team in Tennessee, it's not like they were a slouch.
2: Agreed. Won um... eleven games. Yeah, it's, uh, I would have thought it would have been Tennessee favored by one or one and a half. So usually when there's a, a spread like that, that really makes you wonder. Vegas is usually right in the end. Um, so I, I, I hear your arguments and I see them. I'm still going to take Baltimore. So that's where we're going to differ.
1: I think, Baltimore, I think Tennessee wins outright. Um, I think that... So, yeah, so I would take uh, Tennessee plus three and I would take them money line. And I think that that's my favorite
2: bet of the weekend. Wow. Well, I will say of the underdogs to win outright, Tennessee is the most likely. Tennessee is the most likely. It's also the smallest spread, it seems like. So, that would make sense. Actually, uh, I so take yeah. that
1: back. It's my second favorite bet of the week. Seattle minus four is my favorite. I'm, that, I
2: that's I, another one where you're like, that just seems like it should be like seven and a half. So what do they know?
1: Well, you know it, it's You know what? I'm going to backtrack a second time. <laughs> Division games are weird. That's true. I don't know if Goff is playing. I mean, this is the third time they're going to play. I don't know if Goff is playing or not. Um, I, so... Scratch that. I still like Seattle minus four, but that's not my favorite bet. The Titans plus three is my favorite bet. There we go. That, that, that's, okay. what, that's where we land. All right. So, shy. before we let you go, um, Super Bowl pick, how do you think this plays out? I'm going to go. Uh, so. Oh, and what's what's your what would be your 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 favorite matchup? And what do you think is actually going to happen?
2: Um, I, I mean, I, I would definitely want to see the Chiefs um, just because I think they're they're the best team, most fun to watch. So if we get a Mahomes Rogers Super Bowl, that would be fantastic. Mahomes Brady would also be uh, very interesting. Even Mahomes Breeze, if that however unlikely, but one of, you know, just Mahomes, who's kind of like the new the new you know stud Hall of Fame quarterback of our generation going up against one of the old Hall of Fame quarterbacks of our generation, I think would be a really fun matchup. I don't know. I guess it's impossible to know if the Packers would play Tampa in round two or in the NFC championship. I guess it would depend on how the games unfold this weekend. Um, But I will say I'm going to go with the Chiefs from the AFC. Again, I just until someone beats them, I just think they're going to they're going to go back and repeat. And uh, I really, I don't want to take like both one seeds, but you know, the Packers have just been really much better than the other NFC teams more consistently. And obviously the playoffs go through green Bay. So that factors in no crowd, but the weather. So uh, is this a year where the year of craziness happens and then you get to the playoffs and both one seeds you know get to the Super Bowl. Uh why don't I just I'll just say Chiefs over Packers.
1: Okay. So the the matchup I want to see most involves the Bills. Because, you know, for for the for the fan base of Buffalo, um, I would love to see the Bills in the Super Bowl. As much as I love Mahomes, I would love to see the, the Bills in the Super Bowl. Uh, Bills Against the uh, against this, the Seahawks would be awesome, uh, just because I, I love Russell Wilson. Um, what do I think is going to happen? Uh, um, I I think push comes to shove. I think it'll be Chiefs. You know what? I'm going to go Seattle. Screw it. I'm going to go Seattle. Weird stuff happens. I still think Wilson is the best QB in the NFC, even given what Aaron Rodgers did this season. Um, I'm going to be a little different. I'll probably look, I may look like an idiot for saying this, but what can I say? I have a soft spot for Russell Wilson. Chiefs over
2: the Seahawks. I, I would, uh, you know, Mahomes Wilson would also be a matchup I would enjoy.
1: Sign me up. It's going to be really interesting. Well, Shy. Thanks so much for doing this, man. I know uh, we've been on for a while, but it's always fun to talk football with you. It should be a fun weekend of football. And um, we'll obviously have what to talk about. um, You know, going forward, maybe we'll do uh, some uh, Super Bowl preview when it comes. All right.
2: And and let me just, let me say two quick notes to end off. And one of them is football related and one of them is not, but just saw on Twitter while we were talking. So the football related one, the Giants have only once drafted the Heisman Trophy winner, and they did so with the 11th pick in the draft. Good stat. The other Was that unrelated... Ron Dane? Oh, I mean, I didn't even say who it was, and I feel like you could be right. Was that Ron Dane? Oh, God. Out of
1: Wisconsin? But I thought they drafted it. him earlier than 11.
2: He was the 11th pick. It was Ron Dane.
1: Wow. Shout out to my brain. I
2: I oh, well, that's not a good sad anymore. No, not great. Um, not uh, great. Uh, Ron Dane didn't turn out great. No, no. And the other one, which which is kind of a sad note, but I feel like you uh you're more into this than I am, is Dr. Dre reportedly in the ICU after suffering a brain aneurysm. Not good, Refuah Shlema.
1: No, not good, Refuah Shlema. And I actually, um, you'll hear in the monologue, I, I quoted him or, or at least one of his songs when talking about Steph Curry. How Steph Curry had his "forgot about Dre" moment this week, um, but yeah, Refuah Shlema to the doctor, man. I mean, he's 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 one of a kind. But and shout out to uh, Ron Dane, uh, former Giant, great slash not great um, at the University of Wisconsin. Right? Wisconsin?
2: It was Wisconsin. Yep. We took Ron Dane over Sean Alexander.
1: You know where I was when when they drafted uh I think that year? That summer I was in uh IBA in Israel. Huh.
2: Yeah, that's funny.
1: Wow. Wow. Jeez, long time ago. It's crazy I remember this. Two thousand. Yeah. Shy, it was good to talk to you, buddy. Always a pleasure. We're going to have to do this again uh, later on in the playoffs to uh, recap what's going on because uh, I trust your opinion, except when it comes to Evan Ingram.
2: I say, extend that, man. You got it. Awesome. Talk hey, to anyway, you later. thanks so much, dude. I'll speak to you soon.
1: Bye. Right, bye. Thanks again to recurring guest Shia Elberger for a riveting conversation about all things NFL. Really good stuff from him as always. I expected nothing less. And that's episode 98 for the love of the game. Take us out big shots. So
0: dedicated to everybody who's fucking winning in-